Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. The mini-buy is over. We're rested, refreshed. We've listened to the game audio. And right. we've, we've made <laughs> our ways to improve. Yeah, yeah, we did some self-scouting. And here we go for the second half of this year. We're going to turn the corner, right the ship. It's going to sound a lot like the first half of the year. It probably will, as with most teams after the bye. Yeah, they, all, they fixed everything. And then, you know, week one or week seven, it's right back to the same thing. So, before we dive into ASU at the mid-year and talking about Stanford, we need to talk about former Arizona State quarterback Brock Osweiler, who went from the outhouse back to the penthouse this That's week. right. That's right. Yes, a, a big week for old Brock, and he gets another start this week with Tannehill still out. But, uh, yeah, you know, you and I have discussed a few times over the last few years, um, well, a couple of years, I guess, since he got let go from Houston if, if, you know, we were seeing the end. And I think both of us, uh, preseason, if we didn't talk about it on this, we did talk about it that, you know, he, he might not make the Dolphins roster and that might be it for him. Well, he made it as the number two and stepped in and had a really solid game, 380 and a couple of touchdowns or three touchdowns, I believe, um, and led up to a win over the Bears. So it was a, it was a pretty cool moment for a, a beleaguered former Sun Devil who has been the target of a lot of people's criticism the last couple of years. This may be water finding its point of equilibrium. Uh, as a backup quarterback who can step in for a game sure. or two or three and... That's probably what and, he is. You know, do some things, yeah. keep, keep the ship moving yeah. forward and... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no reason that Brock can't be the next generation's Ryan Fitzpatrick who, you know, for two to three games can look really good and then come back to reality and show why he's a backup. And that's what he is. I mean, he's, he's you know, he didn't all of a sudden become uh, Tom Brady or anything like that. But uh, it was nice to see him have a good moment because he really has been a punching bag the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, partly, I don't want to say unfair, but, I mean, it's not his fault that Texas gave him all that money. Uh, and yet, you know, since then, it's kind of set him up as the, the object of people's derision. And, you know, hey, uh, if somebody's going to offer you that much money, are you going to turn it down? No. Um, you know, he wasn't worth it. But is that his fault? I don't think so. Well, that's just it. The, the Texans made a read similar to what the right. 49ers did with Jimmy Garoppolo based right. on a small sample size. Of Limited game. size. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the Seahawks did it with Matt Flynn and it didn't work. Yeah, uh, yeah, but, I mean, it's happened know, a ton. Teams have done it, you know, Matt Schaub, Kevin Cobb. Yep. You know. And some of those have been successful. I mean, Matt Schaub was a pretty successful starter for several years. Matt Hasselbeck, we, we talked about him when I was back seeing you a few weeks ago. Um, you know, like, that's a great example of a guy who was a backup and ended up being a, you know, a 10-year starter uh, led him to a Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's probably the best example of that going, at least recently, you know, getting someone else's backup and turning him into something. Um, Matt Schaub was decent. Yeah, you know, now more of them have faltered. You mentioned several of the most famous ones, and certainly Brock is one. But, uh, you know, yeah, it was just, it was a cool moment to see him have, a, you know, one more moment in the sun because when you reach this point in your career, there might not be that many. You never know. He could play another five years as a backup, or he could be out of the league next year. It's it's tenuous. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, he beat the Bears. He, yeah. I have to be very honest. I When I saw he was starting and the Bears pass rush the way it is, I 
Yeah. Felt pretty uh, confident the Bears were just gonna take it too. Well, I sure yeah. thought so too. I mean, I made I made some snide remarks about you know Khalil Mack will have 17 sacks this week alone or something, and, and you know I I don't necessarily regret it, but I'm glad I was wrong. Um, he he looked good. He I think he only took maybe one sack total. Through a couple of interceptions, one was one was a bad interception, that, you know, in the, at the start of the third quarter. Um, but you know, kept kept in the game and you know tied the game twice. Uh, good touchdown drives in the beginning of the fourth quarter and a two point conversion. And then when the Bears took the lead, you know, one play touchdown drive. Now Albert Wilson made the majority of that play happen. But nonetheless, you know, two two times you go out there and need a touchdown to tie the game, and he delivered them both. Yeah. Well, and. As an aside, how about the second half Wilson had? Uh, you know, yeah. Basically yeah, shut yeah. down the first half and then two right. touchdowns. It was a great game. I yeah. mean, it was one of those games that, like, going into the day, I would never have thought I'd be watching a lot of Bears and Dolphins. And as soon as I saw that Brock was starting, I thought, well, okay, you piqued my curiosity a bit. Let's see how he looks. But I thought, well, you know, after one quarter, I might be done with this. Well, it turned out to be a really exciting game. You know, the full length of overtime, uh, Dolphins fumble on the goal line, about to go in and win it. Uh, you know, Bears get a long field goal, miss it, and then the Dolphins go down and score. I mean, it, it had all kinds of entertainment value in the second half in OT. Do you think that Brock Osweiler's career at the end of the day will be more Rob Johnson or more Doug Flutie as far as, you know, Will, yeah. will, he, will he hang around as a backup and just be around for a long time now because of... Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it probably more Rob Johnson because he's never... So Brock will probably never, except for people like like me who like him and, and you know root for him, he'll never be viewed as an underdog because he got all that money. And, and you know, and he, he kind of, you know, he became this overly highly touted guy. And I think, you know, there's going to be people that always will think, you know, oh, yep, another one of those guys who was a bust. And so he'll probably never have that flutie underdog feel. Um, so probably more Rob Johnson. But, I, I mean, I said it a few minutes ago, why not Ryan Fitzpatrick? Ryan Fitzpatrick got big money from the Bills, didn't deserve it, and, you know, has bounced around since, uh, started for two or three different teams since then. Um uh, you know, and, and could Brock have that kind of a career? Maybe so. I don't know. I mean, he might not be as uh, as good of a locker room guy. Fitzpatrick seems to be a great locker room guy, great, you know, meeting room type of guy. I don't know what Brock is, but that potential is there at least. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and the other thing that there's just no accounting for taste if there's an offensive coordinator who decides he loves Brock, he could have that Helen yeah. Clemens well, career where. Exactly. I mean, let's be honest. That's why he's in Miami. Uh, you know, Adam Gase was his was uh, one of the I think the quarterbacks coach when he got drafted and then became the offensive coordinator. Uh, you know, when he was when he was the backup there. Uh, now he was gone by the time you know the year that the year that he ended up starting some games when Manning got hurt. I think Gase was already gone. Um, but uh, you know, he's he's had some he's had some opportunities with him and knows him and and. Uh, so he, you know, that familiarity helps, yeah, and and you know, maybe that's maybe that's his landing spot for a while. Who knows? From the uh, from the pros to the current Sun Devils, ASU comes off the bye, 
take on Stanford. Stanford, 4-2, 2-1 in conference. The Devils, 3-3, 1-2 in conference. Um, I spent a little bit of time looking at stats and things for ASU, and you've got Eno Benjamin, who's one of, statistically, the nation's leading per-game rushers. You've got Manny Wilkins, who has one interception only to 11 touchdowns. Yeah. You've got a guy who should be, you know, one of, if not the best receivers in college football. And, and you're not very good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought I knew where you were going with that, and I would agree. It's, it's, a, it's an offense that statistically, at least, you know, you can point to certain stats and say, but, you know, if you weren't watching the games and you'd say, well, the offense looks pretty productive. But watching, there's just, and, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, there's just too much inconsistency, too much stop and start. Uh, you know, and, and look, I know you're not going to score on every drive. I get it. You know, as I say many times, and I stole it from Tony Kornheiser, you know, the other the other team has scholarships too. They have coaches too. Um, they're, they're trying. You know, they're going to stop you at times. But just feels like our offense is, is uh, kind of like a, an old car that, you know, it can hum down the road for a little bit. And then you, you know, you put the brakes on at a red light and it struggles out of the gate. And it's just like you can't, we can't get a, a good rhythm going for a long period of time. And this is where the, the statistical part to me became very misleading. You know, we're averaging almost 30 points a game. We're, right. you know, averaging over 400 yards a game. But in our three losses, we've scored 21, 20, and 21. Yeah. In yeah, the, in the non-Michigan State wins, you know, we've put up seven or more scores. So. Right. But, yeah, mis- misleading is a good way to say it because, you know, you've got six games, two of which are against very poor opponents. Let's be honest. Oregon State and UTSA are, are lower third, maybe lower quarter of, uh, you know, national college football. And, and so we've, we've put up great numbers against them, as you should. But we have not been able to do it consistently against better competition. Now, again, you know, yeah, the uh, the first three, you know, opponents there after UTSA were all pretty good defenses. I mean, we've seen Michigan State. They went to Penn State last week, held them to 17 points. Then uh, that's a really good offense, you know, with some really big-time players, great quarterback. And they, you know, they were able to stifle them basically the entire second half. Washington is a really good defense. San Diego State, you know, is a, is a dark horse to get the – Know, group of five spot if the American teams end up beating each other up. So those are good teams, but you just expected more out of this offense, at least I did, and it hasn't been there yet. Meanwhile, you flip over to the defense, and it's been frustrating because they seem almost perpetually in bend but don't break. Yeah. And, and yeah. where that becomes a huge problem from my perspective is, you know, we saw it in the Colorado game. You don't give up that last touchdown drive, but they held the ball for seven minutes. You never got the true. ball back. True, true. No, I mean, I think, I think defensively, probably if you told me what we'd be this year, you know, on August 31st, right before the first game, I'd have taken it. 
Uh, you know, I, I mean, mean, we haven't we, allowed more than 28 points in a game. No, no, and and we haven't given up a whole lot of, of the big plays. Um, you know, we've we've been average, and I think you and I both, you know, we're prepared for below average. It's what we've seen a lot the last couple of years, and and uh, you know, with all the new faces, new scheme, all those things, I, I think you know. The alarm bells were going off like, wow, this defense could be really bad. Well, it hasn't been really bad. It's, it's been okay. But it hasn't been good enough to win games on its own, and that's not a surprise. I mean, it, like, it just, we shouldn't have expected that. I didn't expect that. I don't think you did either. I don't, I mean, if you if you hook Danny Gonzalez up to a lie detector, he'd probably say he didn't expect that. And doesn't expect that now. I mean, there's just too much newness to this defense, players and scheme and all of that. And lack of depth. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of reasons for it, but it, it's been okay. And if the offense had been what we thought, I think we could easily be four and two or five and one right now, and and be talking about can we win the South? You know, what what where does this season max out? And I, you know, looking at it now, I, I mean, I know theoretically you could say the South is still a possibility. I don't believe it is. I mean, we're you know we're still a game back of Colorado with a head-to-head loss. And are we really going to win out? I don't think so. And then it's probably going to be required to have a chance. Well, and to that point, I think that this game against Stanford, we're not going to win. So, you know. I, I think we could. And then this is an interesting but, game. But then there's the Oregon, you know, before the we get Oregon into game. this, there's the Oregon yeah. game, which I don't think we'll win. There's right. the rivalry game, which even though Arizona is awful, we've been right. beaten by a 3-8 and eight Arizona team before. We have. We have, yeah. And then there's Utah. And we should not forget Utah. I mean, you, you and I uh, just about proclaimed Utah dead on uh, Sunday night, you know, two weeks ago. And since then, they've, you know, dominated Stanford and dominated Arizona and put up, uh, you know, 35-plus in both games. And all of a sudden, you look and think, whoa, maybe Utah has found something. Um, and maybe they have, you know. And, and then we got a trip to USC in there. And they've looked better. The last few weeks after, you know, starting one and two, they've, they've won three in a row. They've beaten Washington State, Colorado, who are two of the better teams in the conference, it appears. So, yeah, there's there's not a lot of layups left. I mean, even as bad as UCLA's look, they've looked better the last two weeks. They won big last week. They, they hung right with Washington for, you know, almost to the end of the game there two weeks ago. And so you wonder by November 10th, they may feel like a whole lot different opponent than if we played them you know, at the end of September. Yeah. Which brings me to I mean, this question. Do you still feel 6-6 six and six is palatable, and do you think 5-7 and seven would now be palatable? Palatable meaning I'd be okay with it? Yeah, meaning... No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I mean, what do you think? I, I agree, because I keep coming back to this point. I know and you know that this year was supposed to be a, a bit of a rebuild or, you right. know, but... Transition, yeah. But, you know, Danny Gonzalez tells me this week, is, or, you know, or I guess last week, that mm. just wait for 2019 and even more so 2020. Well, right. Hearn's only got till 2021, <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah, I mean, we don't... You know, I get it, and, and you're right. I mean, I, I have said this since the offseason, that I didn't feel like, you know, this was not a make-or-break year by any means. It's year one. Uh, one of the big things about this coaching change was,
recruiting and, and improving our recruiting. And you don't do that overnight in football, especially. You, you just don't. You don't come in and all of a sudden remake everything and have this impact freshman class of 20 guys that are all great right away. It doesn't happen. And so you got to give it some time. you got to let these guys become juniors and the next class and the next class. And, and I agree with Danny Gonzalez in a sense that, you know, yes, this will be judged more on 19 and 20. 100% correct that is. But this year, no, I'm five and seven is never good enough. Never. I mean, I, there's, there's not a year that we've had that I would say I'd be okay with five and seven. Um, you know, can I see it happening based on the upcoming schedule? If you ask me, is it realistic? Yeah. If you ask me, would I be content with it? No. And, and I don't think anybody should be. And this comes down then to my next question. Looking at, you know, part of it is now with the more spread out coverage, I guess, with Haller at the Athletic. Sure. And, and you know, Metcalf still leading the charge at the Republic. Right. That it feels more feature story e, and I know yes. I know part of that is by virtue of you know there's not the daily practice reports that we get in the off season right, right. now, and we're looking for stuff. But ha- has the local media and the local fan base checked out on, on the you know it's funny the season it's, fun. I mean, it's, it's weird that you say that because. I was, you know, I think when you go to the bye week, your rhythm is thrown off. You know, you, you get kind of into a rhythm in football of every week, and, and you play, and you play, and you practice, and then you play, and then you practice, and then you play, and, and, and then you go to the bye week, especially when that bye week's followed by a Thursday, so you get a different practice schedule then. It has the feel of, you know, you almost kind of forget about them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I haven't, but... But it does feel like, you know, the, um, the attention has gone away. And, and uh, I mean, maybe it is a product of Haller being at the Athletic. It's just different, different philosophy. But he's only written one story in the last week that I've seen, the Eno Benjamin story. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did one, you know, about a week ago, I think exact Thursday last week, about, you know, 10 things to, 10 things to look for as ASU, you know, comes to its bye. And then very little this week as we've gotten back into practice. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I suppose he, I didn't look today. I would think he posted his preview today. He usually does the day before a game. Um, but, yeah, it does kind of feel like the buzz has significantly dried up. Now, part of that is just not having a game for a while. Um, you know, you, you do go through that bye week, and people just kind of start focusing on other things. And here locally, you know, there's some, there's some talk about the Suns. They're getting started, obviously, tonight. The Cardinals have still been playing every week. They haven't had their buy yet, so they still capture some of the market. And, um, but yeah, it, it does. It does feel like uh, a little bit of the air has come out of the balloon. Uh, Realizing this team is likely headed for another, you know, 500 type of season. Uh, and and I get it. I mean, I, I again, I'm realistic, but I'm not that patient either. I, I'll be patient this year. But I really hope that next year at this time, I've said this before to you as we've gone through this calendar year, next year, two years from now, I don't want to be talking about, you know, well, can we scratch out six wins? That's, that's way against the objective that was laid out from the top. There were, yeah, there were promises made about 
what would be acceptable. And I guess the, the lingering question from that is, we weren't told how long it would take. <laughs> no, we weren't. No, no. But but, the, but I think uh, I think the realistic notion should be not long. Well, the hiring we of Herm seven... Edwards tells you it's not long. Right. You hired an old coach, and you were seven and five team last year. This is not basketball, where a coach came in and took over a program that really hadn't been very good, had been to one tournament in what seven years, something like that. That was a project, and you knew it was going to take some time. Um, this wasn't. I mean, this is a team that had been 500 or better five of six years under Todd Graham. Now, 500 or better doesn't mean you were great, but it's, you know, it, it wasn't Oregon State. Well, and it's a, it wasn't Rutgers. It I mean, is you know, a I mean, basement and a benchmark that, sure. you know, now my expectation and your expectation is, well, we should at least be that. If we made yeah. a change, it's because that was unacceptable, well, and I'm with you, that is unacceptable. Exactly. You want to get better. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I do understand that this was going to be a transition year. I wouldn't even call it a rebuild year, but a transition year. You're bringing in some new philosophies. You're going to try to recruit differently. You're going to try to make up for some of the recruiting deficiencies you think were there the last couple of years and probably accurately saying that. And that's not going to happen real quick, but it, it, you know, it just, it can't take that long. 2018 is not the year to judge Ray Anderson's promise, but 2020 is, and 2019 better show progress because most often you don't go from five or six wins to 11. It happens, but it doesn't usually happen that way. I mean, you look at a program like Clemson and they've gotten to this point with a good number of years where they were pretty good, couldn't quite get over the hump, and they finally got over the hump. And they found the right, you know, and, and they've been in the playoff three years in a row and won a national title, and now they're a power. And so you, you chip away at that. You don't usually just become that in one season. And I agree, and, and obviously there was a, a moment where it felt like Todd Graham had done that, where it felt it like we had, it did. you know, reached that... <laughs> pinnacle and we were about uh, to get comfortable yeah, and then the, the, the year second started. weekend of November in 2014 it felt that way and then yeah. the third weekend it got away and, it, and you could make a good argument it never came back for him uh, I mean that, that that loss in Corvallis as much as I look back at the, at the ASU you know UNLV game the loss to UNLV as being the end of Dennis Erickson the Corvallis loss was, was pretty much the end of Todd Graham and you look back at it we were knocking on the door of playoff contention after beating Notre Dame, and we never really recovered from that loss. No, well, and then we compounded it by entering the next year with great fanfare. Right. And, and falling, falling short, going 6-6. Yeah. Six six. yeah, yeah. Starting off with the, with the dud against A&M, and never, never really found a rhythm that year. Never did. That was the year that uh, just, you know, we never had any consistency. We, we looked decent for a week, and, you know, we started out the year looking pretty good on defense and bad on offense. By the second half of the year, it was just the opposite. You know, we lost that Oregon game, which was like, you know, 63 to 56 or something like that. Uh, you know, we just couldn't quite get any sort of identity. And then, of course, the disaster that was the second half of the 2016 season, you know, starting 5-1 and one and then dropping six in a row. Um, I mean, you know, Howler's made that point. I'm, I'm stealing it from him. 
that essentially that that night in in Corvallis to Oregon State was was kind of the beginning of the end. We didn't know it at the time, and and so yeah, I mean that's the, you're right. It felt like we were felt like we were climbing that ladder, and then we slid back down the ladder, and so now we have to climb it again. Um, but you know, clock's ticking. Uh, you know, it's not to say that we're going to stop playing football if we don't, you know, win the conference in two years. But you know, it's it's got to happen, or or what you did was a failure, and you don't have all kinds of time to show it. Yeah, and, and I think if Horn doesn't win, you know, eight next year, yeah, and, and probably nine or ten in twenty twenty then he didn't reach what he was supposed to. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, and, and, and I don't know. I mean, you're right. There was no clock put on it. Uh, so does that mean that 2021, you know, if we're great then, that somehow, well, you didn't do it the first three years, so you were a failure. No, it, it doesn't. Um, but you have to you have to make progress. And by 2020, year three of this experiment, if it's still going, and I assume it will be, but who knows, we better not be having conversations like this in the middle of October that say, you know, well, it's, you know, it's three and three and it's five and seven feel like it might be okay. No, no, six and six shouldn't, seven and five shouldn't. That's what we had last year. Ray told us that's not okay. 100% with him, but got to back it up now. Quite frankly, if we hit that point in two years, um, that's probably the end of Ray Anderson. It might be. It certainly might be. I mean, it'll be interesting because, although, although you know, I will say the Olympic sports and baseball is not well. an Olympic sport, but the Olympic right. sports have been doing well. They've it, done well. It, Basketball it, has had a resurgence right now. And getting a new arena, if that gets built. Right. right. Um, you know, the football stadium is is almost done. Uh, you know, to the, to the outside eye, it is done. There's still some last minute things or, you know, last second things they got to do in the off season, I guess. But, you know, it is, it is a, it's a, it'll be interesting if that happens because, you know, Michael Crow has, has voiced a lot of, you know, well, we should never have consecutive losing seasons. Well, I mean, put that into practice with Tracy Smith, a consecutive losing season, and he's still here. Um, so I don't know if Michael Crow is really that results oriented when it comes to wins and losses, as he likes to say. Uh, when he does interviews with sports reporters, I think behind the scenes, if the athletic department is financially healthy, that Ray Anderson may get a longer leash. But we'll see, because a struggling football program always hurts your financial bottom line. So those things go kind of hand in hand. I think it's a combination of, of a few things. One, Michael Crow used to be, I think, his true self when it came to this, which is, he didn't like that we were a party school, and he didn't like no. that we were a sports school. Right. And now he sort of has recognized that those are the ways you get recognized. Right. You as a school get recognized, and you can have a, a national draw. And don't get sure. me wrong, the online degree program with Starbucks and, and the yeah. other things that make us number one in innovation. Uh, <laughs> right, you know, right. Those are all good things, but ASU needs a good sports program yeah. for, for, for its alumni and for its fans. But for Michael Crow, I think it's, like you said, if it's financially okay, and if he cannot step in it with a, you know, 
Headache Smith, Bryson right. Kruger, or right. uh, God forbid, a Lloyd Wade. Yeah, yeah. You know, then and I think he'll probably be okay. I think so too. I, I yeah, think at a certain point his hand got forced with Lisa Love. There was nowhere to go. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things had things had slipped badly when it came to the, you know the the financial side. Um, and, and he had already brought in her successor, Steve Patterson, basically, who, you know, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but did get the ball rolling when it came to a lot of these projects, a lot of yeah, the, you know, the football stadium and stuff like that. He got that process started, not Ray Anderson. Well, and see, that's an interesting point that I'm glad you brought up. Ray Anderson's going to get credit for finishing the football right. stadium, and he's going to get credit for the in theory, uh, opening of construction on the new arena and moving the baseball team off campus to Phoenix Muni. Well, Phoenix Muni wasn't on the table as an option until Mesa built that Sloan Park for the Cubs. The Cubs, and the Cubs didn't want to partake, yeah, yeah. They were supposed to share with the Cubs, and and that fell through at the last second. Yeah, but it opened Hohokam, which the A's moved, made Phoenix Municipal, you know, vacant. And, and now yeah. I One of the odd, complete tangential point, one of the odd parts about Cactus League Spring Training is there's only one site inside of Phoenix proper, and it's right. the Brewers in Maryvale. Right, right, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, they're all, they're all spread out. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, you know, and the Phoenix Muni move, um, I liked it at the time. I like it less and less as time has passed. Uh, when I, I think you and I discussed this, I know we did via text, you know, when they're going to pour all this money into improving things at Phoenix Muni, I'm left thinking, why didn't they put that money into improving Packard? You had a nice place right there on campus that people loved, that had history, that had uh, some romance to it, it had memories, it had legends, and you've let it rot. It sits there as a dirt parking lot, and it bothers me to see it like that. If they had put in new lights and rebuilt the press yeah. box and put yeah. in a, a new modern fence, yeah, that that was Could've really all Packard needed. Right. You know, you had a nice new clubhouse that that Murph popped for. You had the batting cages that Murph popped for. Uh, I mean, you know, they had updated some things. They put in the berms; those were popular. You know, they had kept it somewhat updated. They had the the terrace there with the grill. Uh, you know, it, it, there was there were things there, and then what do I read this off? Oh, we're going to put in this new hitting facility at Muni, and we're going to, you know, we're going to update the clubhouse. I'm like, well, we had these things. I mean, they were there, they were already there at Packard, and then you let that place go because supposedly you had this ready-made place at Phoenix Muni. We're going to solve all your problems. Well, it, it hasn't, and of course we know the win-loss record has been disastrous. Now there's more than just the stadium that's causing that, but it's it, you know. They're together. I don't know if one causes the other or whatever it may be, but you, you, you can't unlink the fact that the program has slipped mightily since they've left Packard. Do you think that there is any real truth to the idea that ASU baseball didn't think through this move and that they, they saw an opportunity to sell beer at the game? Yeah, and it just might jumped on it. Might be, might be. I, I feel like there was a, uh, you know, Packard was decaying, and and um, I think there was a thought of we got to we got to do something. We 
guy keep up with the Joneses in in college baseball because you're you're trying to recruit against you know Texas and the SEC schools and, and the, these places. Exactly, you know, and 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 these places you go to the SEC and they they blow you out of the water with their facilities, and you couldn't bring recruits into Packard, and they probably look around and think this is it, you know. And recruits don't care about romance and history; they don't care. Um, you know, fans do, but recruits don't. And I think they thought, you know, again, they were going to go to Mesa. They were going to be a part of this facility. They were going to build it up. They were going to share it with the Cubs. Everything was going to be hunky dory. And that fell through, and then they had to think of something. And Phoenix Beauty was available, and so it was almost like, you know, picking up the, the last girl who doesn't have a date to the prom. Like, yeah, you want to go? Sure, sounds good. And and they just kind of went there, and I don't think they I don't think they had it all mapped out. And nobody wanted to put the money in to fix Packard. That's the thing. Nobody wanted to spend the money. Nobody wanted to spend the money on the Cubs place. They were going to just, you know, join in. Cubs were going to spend the money, and they were going to be a tenant. Great. Well, that didn't work out. And then it was, you know, but now they're spending money to, to improve Muni, which bothers me because where was that four years ago when they could have just done it at Packard? And they own Packard. That's the other price right. that when you right. really get down to the craziness of it, it the school owns Packard Stadium. Yes. The school leases yes. Phoenix Muni. Right. And, and these improvements I mean, right are great. But, yeah, you know, uh, there's just, there's something about, I mean, you could have, and I'm glad they didn't. We talked about this, I think, in the off season. I'm glad they didn't move the football stadium off campus, but you could have done it. You could have moved it somewhere people would go because it's football and they only play six or seven home games a year. And, and so you could still get people's interest. But it's, it, you know, baseball's not a sport that appeals to the casual sports fan. College baseball does not. I mean, it has some diehard fans. And when you get to the World Series, people start turning it on ESPN. But that's it. And so you put it further away, and it's not that much further away. But it makes a difference. I'm but it's not, it's not walkable from, it's from not. student housing. It's not. And, and I, am, I am a great example of it. I have been to very few games at Phoenix Community. Now, is part of that because the team sucks? Sure. But, you know, it's, I mean, I think about where I live, and it takes me 15 minutes or so to get to the campus. It's going to take me another 10 minutes to get to Phoenix Community. Now, that's not going to break my back. But at the same time, a lot of times, like, eh, I don't feel like doing that. Uh, you know, and you just don't go. And I'm sure... I'm far from the only one who has that thought process, thinking, well, this was on campus, and maybe I'd go, but nah, I'm not going to go all the way up to Phoenix Muni. And, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I know we've gotten, we've gotten way off course here, and, you know, we still have to go back to the Stanford game. But, uh, but yeah, it just it, uh, it bothers me in a lot of ways. I hate that, they, that they've let Packard Stadium rot. The whole idea was, you know, do something with that area. They've done absolutely nothing with it. And you look over the landscape from where I work, I can see above, and I can see the fancy new football stadium, and I can see Karsten, which looks beautiful, even though supposedly that's going to go away. I can see the football practice field and the Sun Angel, and everything looks thick and span. And then you see Packard, and it's just it's like an eyesore. And, and it, it saddens me as someone who spent a lot of time there to see what it's become. Yeah. And, and I recognize we've gotten far afield, but you know what? Sometimes you need to do an <laughs> assessment of the state exactly. of the program. Exactly, uh, exactly. And, and uh, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't mean to get on a tangent, but I could go on and on and on about baseball and what I think of it. And I don't have all the answers. I'm not saying I do, but you can't say that things are good. Things are not healthy with baseball. Now, you're right. 
most of the Olympic sports have, have done well. You know, we've we won so we won a national title in women's golf. We uh, got to the World Series in softball. Wrestling's all those power. Wrestling's been better. Ho- and, hockey's yeah, I mean, fun. Hockey's yeah. I mean, all those things will will you know make you feel warm in bed at night, but they don't really resonate all that much unless you're unless you're closely tied to that program because you've got a kid playing for the team or or you're an alum of that program or something. You know, like when softball made the World Series, did 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 either of us like have a big celebration? Think you know, wake up the next morning and think, boy, that feels really good. Softball's in the World Series. Yeah, I like it. Was it. Great. I thought it was yeah, cool. it was fine. I mean, I wasn't unhappy about it, but I didn't. You know, didn't really. Had they not, when they went zero and two, it it didn't really make a blip on my radar. Um, football, basketball, and to a lesser extent, baseball are the sports that do that. When you do well in football. You do. I mean, you know, one of the nights I'll never forget is when we won the Pac-12 South. And you and I talked on the phone after we beat UCLA, and it was it was thrilling. And then we beat Arizona the next week to clinch hosting. And I remember going going into my office at you know 11:30 at night to buy tickets and print them out for our game. You know, that, you, you that that moved you. And I want more memories like that. I want things like that, and and hopefully they're going to happen. But, you know, I, I'm not down on her by any means. I mean, uh, you know, you might be thinking I am, and I'm not. But I no. I want to see it. You're, you know, I just, you are I down on Tracy Smith, and you are oh, an incomplete on Herm. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I mean, Herm hasn't been here long enough to be down on it. Unless we were 0-6 and getting, you know, blown out in every game. Then I might be thinking, boy, we made a big mistake. But even then, I'd probably be preaching patience because I, I try to be a patient fan. I really do. It's hard in the, in the world nowadays to be patient, but I try to. And, and so I'm going to be, but I'm not going to be overly patient because that's not what this was supposed to be. I had tons of patience reserved for Bobby Hurley because I thought, okay, we got to give this guy time. I said it to you. We're going to give him a couple years. we got to realize things are going to get worse before they get better. And they did. And now they've gotten better. And things feel pretty good. But that's not what this is supposed to be. This is not supposed to be a tear down and rebuild. It's supposed to be a uh, change things and, and, you know, continue the upward trajectory. So we'll hope it is. All right. You said Bobby Hurley, but I'm not going to let myself get distracted. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Let's yeah. let's go back to the matter at hand very quickly. Uh, yeah. ASU hosting Stanford Thursday night, maroon monsoon, whatever that yeah. is. Yeah, uh, we're we're wearing all maroon jerseys, and there's flames in the end zone. Right. And right. I have to right. say, the grounds crew is doing a really cool job. The uh, they do. The they do. Pitch they really fork do. now serves as like the star of the Arizona flag. Yes, yes, yes. It's it's cool. Yeah, I mean it is. Uh, again, as I say, I look out from you know where I work now, and it looks. I mean, it looks really good. Like I looked out today, and the field's all ready to go. And yeah, they they do a really nice job of getting everything ready. With all that being said, I am not confident. I'm taking Stanford in a standard ASU loss, 28-21. That was a seven-point loss, yeah. Well, I I mean, I I see the rationale behind that. I went back and forth on this, and as we talked, I could go back and forth. Because, uh, 
you know, we didn't talk much about Stanford, but, you know, Stanford is a, is an Oregon collapse away from having lost three in a row coming into this game. They were badly outplayed by Oregon for about, you know, three and a half quarters. They were outplayed by Notre Dame, and they were badly outplayed by Utah. And so you think, are they really that good? I mean, they've had some injuries. Bryce Love has not had any kind of year compared to what he had last year. Oh, I mean, Eno They're Benjamin off- is more than double his oh, yardage. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I mean, their offensive line has been banged up. Now you think they probably are a little healthier coming off there by week two. I assume Love's going to play set out the last game, and he was questionable for that. So I would think he's going to play. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting to see because our run defense last, you know, four weeks has not been very good. Um, and Stanford's had our number. But that was, you know, to be fair, it was a different coaching staff. Um, not to rip Todd Graham, but it always felt like, you know, David Shaw was two steps ahead of the Todd Graham staff. I'll always remember the Pac-12 title game, just feeling like anything we did, he was a move ahead. Yeah, this is and, that, staff. and you don't mean that in the Herman Boone sense, where he was only down a touchdown and really right. had done a good job. Stifling. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was really a move ahead. Like every time, I mean, that game, I, you know, and and it's been a few years now, so I don't remember every play or anything, but it just felt like every time, you know, we figured something out on defense, they were they were one step ahead of us to adjust to our adjustment, um, and. I was impressed by that, and, and they did it. You know, now we did beat them in 2014, but that was not a vintage Stanford team. Yeah. And this may not be either. You know, that's I guess the thing. Long-winded explanation aside, I'm going to pick ASU. We've been much better at home than we have on the road, and now I still got to see that we can win on the road, and time will tell on that. But uh, I, I think we win. I think uh, you know, maybe a, a bit like the Michigan State game, maybe a little higher scoring. Hard to be much lower scoring than that. Um, I'll go uh, 21 to 17. Well, we both think that ASU's going to score 21. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to say it's a game that feels like Michigan State, and and we find a way to pull it out. Um, maybe I'm foolish. I, I mean, I might be. Uh, you know, um, if Stanford, you know, comes out and looks like the top 25 team they were supposed to be then we'll be in trouble. But I'm just not convinced they're really that good. They, they might have enough flaws that we could take advantage of them. My enduring memory of playing Stanford in the David Shaw era is regularly giving up a incredibly <laughs> well-timed quarterback bootleg. Yep, yep, absolutely. I was thinking of that when I said they always felt like they were a step ahead. Because that Pac-12 title game had one of those where, you know, we were facing, I don't even remember the scenario, but it was big defensive play, and, you know, Kevin Hogan goes around the corner and gets, you know, 20-some yards, and it just just took your heart out, basically. Well, because they're so good running the ball, uh, you know, that you you feel like you sell out for the run on, you know, critical third and shorts, third and goal situations, and... Then all of a sudden, he, you know, the quarterback, who almost never keeps it in the standard right. system, you know, tucks it and, you know... Goes it, around the corner yeah. there. And, yeah. And, and I will say, one of the reasons why I think it's important to bring up in this game specifically is a point you've made repeatedly. I've been very impressed with what I've seen from Rennell Wren busting up plays up the middle yeah. and things. But there is no assignment discipline. They all no, collapse down. Yeah, 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 I agree. I mean, and that's something that you really have to be 
better at and hopefully is something they've drilled into them in this bye week, extra practice time. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, even though they haven't been successful doing it much this year, they're going to keep doing it. They're going to keep running the ball and, and keep at it. That's what they do. They're not going to come out all of a sudden and be an error rate team. And so you, you better be ready to, to defend it consistently and take on their big offensive line and tackle. When you have the opportunity, you've you got to tackle. When you, you know, if you get Bryce Love behind the line, got to finish plays. Because we saw last year, he did it to a bunch of teams last year, not as much this year. The big plays that he gets, the, you know, the little five-yard runs that he turns into 60. Yeah. Do you think we know when has conversations with Merlin Robinson, Robertson about, uh, you know, the Gary Bertier, Julius Campbell? You, <laughs> you blow right past him. Push maybe. him, pull him, do maybe, something. Maybe. Yeah, they, they do have that feel a little bit sometimes. I mean, you know, you love the aggressiveness and you love the, you know, the big play ability of that, but it has been used against him in these last few weeks. Certainly San Diego State did it a ton. I, they're the team I remember doing it the most to us. It, it just, you know, using that that aggressiveness against us, basically, and running right past us. Um, and and we'll see. You know, yeah. I mean, it'll be be interesting. Obviously, coming off a bye, as we joked about, you always hope things look a little bit better and that you've ironed up some some of the difficulties. But if you're a Stanford fan, you're probably thinking the same. Hey, we've gotten a chance to get healthier. You know, kind of gets get a chance to you know collect ourselves, get better, and. Now we're going to become that team that we usually are, which is the power running team. We're going to run for 250 yards. KJ Costello will throw, you know, 18 passes and, and you know, complete 14 of them, and that'll be good enough to win. That's that's their recipe and probably what they're going to try to do. All right, before we get out of here, uh, something that we posted on Twitter and it's been a, yes. you know going around, uh, Nick Bosa, the presumptive top three, maybe top overall draft pick right. uh, in this right. year's draft, announced that he's going to leave Ohio State to rehab his uh, core abdominal injury uh, mm-hmm. on his own, reminiscent of a few years ago when Miles Jack hurt his knee at UCLA yeah. and yeah. announced he was just going to withdraw from school because, you know, this is... Right, season-ending injury. and Yeah. And uh, these are student-athletes. Sure, so obviously sure. withdrawing from school reinforces that. They're um, an athlete, yeah, yeah. But is this going to be, you know, this is not going to be what happens for, you know, the Cole Cabrals of sure, the world. Sure. But are we going to start seeing this more and more? You know, everyone's worried about that next bigger score. Right. Um, right. You know, Le'Veon Bell in the pros is is showing us why, and Earl, or, or showing sure. us how, and Earl Thomas is showing us why. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent true. But is this going to be the wave of the future? And where does the trickle down go? You know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it'll really be that necessarily. I mean, I think if guys get injured, it makes sense, and and he's injured. I mean, the one thing I'd say for this is he and his people which maybe is, is his family at this point, did not necessarily do a great job of controlling the narrative on this, and that's always important, because the narrative was, uh, you know, he could come back in November. Well, that may not be true. Uh, I mean, that injury may keep him out, you know, all the way through December, and, and so I don't, you know, I think the notion of, well, he could be back by the Michigan game, I don't think that's accurate, and they didn't get that message out there all that well. 
So people think, boy, he's abandoning his team before the biggest games of the year. Well, you know, anybody who says that, I'd like to, I just say this. How many of y'all who are criticizing him have had the opportunity to make tens of millions of dollars in your chosen profession? And if you did, wouldn't you do everything you could to protect that chance? I think we all would. And it's easy to sit, you know, in our living rooms or in a studio on TV and say, this is just not right. But if you haven't been there to make that choice, you really can't say. Well, I think about guys who did get hurt. And, and, you know, the one that comes to mind for me, and it it wound up, this example doesn't prove the point because it wound up not costing him anything, but Wisconsin is playing in a bowl game, which is effectively meaningless. Right. And they're struggling to stop the run. So they're... All-world offensive tackle Joe Thomas gets yeah. put in to play nose tackle and um, and blows out his knee. Right, right. And, you know, he wound up getting the big money contracts. Sure. He had a Hall of Fame at, caliber back. NFL yeah. career. He, you know, it didn't impact him. And I guess most offensive linemen blow out their knees at some point right. anyway. But, right. But it could have. Yeah. But what if it had? You know? Right, right. And there's... There's plenty of those guys out there, and the problem is we don't know them because because of the fact that they fall, and so we lose track of them. You know, we think of Willis McGahee, you know, major injury, and, and but, you know, he's still in the first round, and he went on to have a really good NFL career, and you think, well, geez, it didn't hurt him. For every Willis McGahee, there's probably someone else out there who did well, get who's hurt. The, who's the running back from South round. Carolina? Latimer. Latimer. Yeah, great point. Great point. Yep, yep, absolutely. Never, you know, I think he, he didn't he get drafted way late. Yeah. And he, he, I mean, you know, but he never played. Never played again. You know, he was on practice squad or not practice, like injured reserve, I think. You know, the 49ers kept him around for a couple of years hoping things would come back, and they never did. And, yeah, that's a great point. You know, and, again, those aren't the names that come to mind first because we forget about them. And, and they just kind of slip into the background and, so, I mean, I don't blame the kid. Like, I'm not an Ohio State fan, and I'm not an Ohio State hater, necessarily. I, this is one where I really don't have tremendous skin in the game either way. Um, and and I think, you know, I listened to Dan Patrick this morning, just the very beginning, and one of his guys, Cole Pabst, is on there saying, you know, well, isn't there something to be said for, you know, give, caring about your team? And, and, and I get it, that sounds great, but, you know, I'd ask Cole Pabst, uh, you know, nobody's going to pay him tens of millions of dollars to sit at a computer and, you know, play sound effects. But if they were, he'd probably abandon ship from the Dan Epps and Dan Patrick right away and say, I'm protected myself till I get that tens of millions of dollars. So if you haven't been in that position, you really shouldn't criticize the guy. I, I feel. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You know, the other analogous argument that I am a fan of is college is designed added yeah. for to prepare you to become a professional in the world. At what you do. And if yeah. this is the profession he's going to engage in, and by everyone's estimation, it will be. Sure. He doesn't need this anymore. No, he doesn't. No, no. I mean, I think Kornheiser called it yesterday. You know, college football for a guy like him is a trade school. And, and you know, he's, he's ready to apply to trade somewhere else, and, and I don't blame him. I mean, I just don't. Like, he he, uh, he has every reason to be smart and not come back 
too soon, get re-injured. But here's the thing, he can, he can now just focus on recovery, probably by the end of December, January, he'll be 100% healthy. So when draft time starts, workouts, pro days, things like that, he'll be able to, to give his best. If he comes back and he gets hurt again in, say, the Big Ten title game or the first round of the playoff, now he's got to go through another recovery. He probably misses the combine. He misses workouts. Does it matter for a guy as highly touted as him? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe he ends up getting drafted highly anyway. But maybe it does. Maybe he ends up slipping to 15. And that's a big difference in money. I mean, it doesn't sound, you know, we all say, well, a first-round pick still gets a lot of money. Sure. But the number one pick gets a lot more money than the number 15 pick. So if he has a chance to protect his, his opportunity to be the number one pick or two or three, man, good for him. I, I don't blame him at all, and I don't think anybody should. So then this leads me to the other question I was thinking about uh, along the same lines. Houston Cougars, 5-1. and one. Right. Yeah. Lost to Texas Tech in a typical Texas Tech game. Yeah, yeah. Beat up pretty much everybody else who they've played. Including Arizona. Including so Arizona. They, yeah. They get South Florida in three or two weeks mm-hmm. and have a real chance to run the table. Mm-hmm. If they're 11-1 and, and they're playing in, I don't know. Title game. The conference title game yeah. or a bowl game? Let's say they, they win the conference title. Let's say they're, yeah. they're 12-1 and one and they're yeah. playing a meaningful bowl game, but not mm-hmm. they don't make it into the actual top four. Mm-hmm. So they're playing, I don't know, the Outback Bowl. I don't even know. I, yeah, I don't know where the American, but yeah, I, I got you. They, saw, I'm, I'm they get you. some sort of at-large. They wind up as right. a top 15 team. Yeah. Uh, but they're not going anywhere fun. Would you, if you are the family advisor for Ed Oliver, tell him to pull the, the chub and not play? Yes, absolutely I would. Yeah, and, I, and I'll, be, I'll go a step further. I'd say they make it to the Peach Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl or something like that. You shouldn't play in that. Well, I mean, what, what does that mean, really? In, in, in all honesty, like, I, I wouldn't play in that. Now, if they, if they somehow, and they're not going to, you know, if they made the playoffs and, and he didn't play, or let's, let's just take it to another team, you know, it's Alabama or Ohio State or whatever, and somebody who's healthy. I think Bose is not healthy. That's, that's important to, to throw out there. People are forgetting, you know, um, says, if I'm not going to play, well, that, that would be a concern. You got a chance to win a national title, and the guy's looking out for himself above all else. I think that might be a red flag. But, yeah, if I'm Ed Oliver... I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, let's say let's say it gets to week 9 or 10. I wouldn't be, I would, if I'm an advisor or a family member of his, I'm saying, I'm going to go ahead and put it on the shelf. You know, protect that investment. Don't blow out your knee or tear your Achilles or, you know, tear a shoulder or something like that. And all of a sudden we go from number 2 to number 20. And that's a big difference. Yeah. Well, and the, so, other, yeah. the other part of this when it comes to, like, the drop-off from 2 to 20 or round 2 to round right. 4 might not even be on your first contract, right? but but is on the idea of will you get the benefit of the doubt? Will, will you get another shot? If yeah, let, Let's say yeah, this doesn't go well. Will you just be released? 
Right, right. Yeah. I mean, the higher you go, the more the more lease you get. And, you know, now we're looking at different scenarios here, but for example, one, I'll give you Sam Bradford. For example, two, I'll give you Alex Smith, who's turned into a pretty good player, but if he hadn't been the number one pick, probably would have been out of the out of NFL in three or four years. He had a terrible start to his career. And he kept getting chances because they'd invested a lot in him. Turned into a decent player. Sam Bradford continues to get chances because he's the number one pick. Let's be honest. Um, and, and so, yeah, the higher you go, the more likely it is. Now, Marcus Russell, I suppose, would be the outlier on this argument. But, uh, you know, you go high in the draft, you're usually going to get a second chance, third chance, uh, you know, if, if things don't start well for you. But if you go in the 20s, still a first-round pick, you can see those guys out of the league within three or four years. It's not uncommon to see. Well, and also, on Jamarcus Russell, his flaws and his problems were beyond, sure. you know, just adjusting to the the speed of the sure, game or sure. something. Sure, I mean, we're, you know, that's an extreme example. I know it is, and, you know, and I, and I say that, and so is Sam Bradford. We're talking quarterback, and, you know, it's a little bit apples and oranges in some ways comparing it to a defensive lineman. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the higher you go in the draft, the longer lease you're going to get from your team, the more likely, honestly, you're probably going to get a second chance from another team if things don't go well. And, and you know, so there's, there's a number of reasons to, to care about where you get drafted and to be as, as healthy and ready as possible for where you're going to get drafted. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have, you know, I know it would have been outlandish if people would have hated it. I wouldn't have hated it if Ed Oliver said, Hey, thanks for the memories, Houston. I'm sitting out this year, and I'm just going to get ready for the draft. People would have knocked it for it, but I wouldn't have been one of them. Although I do think that there is... Maybe I'm just more gun-shy, and it's a different position, but I, I think back to Mike Williams. You right, see Mike right. Williams, and You're right. It, you want to see it's a guy hard. stay in, in shape and, and yeah. play football. I agree. I mean, there's, now, there's a little alarm bell there, but, but, but I what if, have hated the idea. But what if this new AAF works, or, right. um, you know, the XFL in 2020 works, right. then, uh, I'm listening, it, it, does, that yeah. become the, does that become the Europe? The, the feeder system, you can, yeah. You can go sign an agent, you can go sign your contract. And I mean, you can I go so, get insurance. Honestly. I mean, I'm sure. I hope so. I, I'm sure that the smart people in Ed Oliver's life, in you know, got insurance on sure, him sure. and his against you know hedging against his NFL right, career. Right. But you know, for some guys, I think that may be the option, especially because the more we're learning about, you have a finite number of hits. As a running yeah. back, you have a finite number of runs. True. Yeah. True. Uh, I agree. Yeah, it'll it'll be very interesting to see if if those leagues, one or both, can can sustain something and and you know open those doors to guys. You know, saying you know college really isn't the route I want to go. I'm not I'm not really into the whole idea of you know being a full time student and keeping a GPA. And I just I just want to play football and I, I'm a football player and. I'm going to, you know, go here for a year or two or whatever, and then I want to go to the NFL after that. I mean, I would have no problem with that. Now, I say that knowing how much I love college football, and I think about, you know, the sport getting potentially watered down, and I'd hate to see that. 
but on an individual level, I, I would not be able to criticize anybody for doing that. I, if you got the opportunity to make some money plying your trade, but college won't let you do that legally, go for it. Uh, I'm not one to say, you know, don't make money when you can make money. Well, the other part of this, and, and we see it obviously with the one and done rule in, in, in college yeah. and, and different things, if you provide an alternative, then you diminish the likelihood of what we're seeing now in college basketball with, with right. the you know the FBI and, and now this federal right. case where we're learning about this guy got paid this and this kid's family got that. And if they could go pro, I mean, one of yeah. the one of the things that I, I remember vividly when we were younger was the discussion that was being had that when LeBron James was a senior in high school, he was ineligible to play in college. Like, he just, he had endorsement deals, he had all these things that you knew when he was 17, he couldn't play in college. He couldn't go to college, yeah, exactly. You know? And, And I think that maybe that is the next progression of this, is just, you know, football guys say, look, I... I'll go for two years, but I don't care if I take these improper benefits because I, I have an alternative. You, you know, sure the NFL so. says you know I'll wait. You have to wait till you're three years out of high school, but I, I, I'll bet dollars to donuts right now. Vince McMahon doesn't care. He, no. He'd probably love the story if sure, you know. sure, absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I mean, um, you know, as much as we've talked about basketball and the one and done, you could make an argument that. Football is even worse. I mean, you have to stay three years, and and you can't get paid, at least, you know, up front, legally, allowable. And and so, you know, yeah, and, and football is a much more physical sport. As you said, you know, there's only so many hits the body can take. For each guy, it's different. And how many guys, you know, are using up a good portion of their earning potential playing for the enjoyment of, you know, fans like you and me. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But, you know. That doesn't put dollars in their bank account. And, and a lot of guys just get used up and spit out in college sports. Yes, there's a Nick Bosa and an Ed Oliver and a you know, Sam Bradford and those guys who make big money. That's great. But a lot of guys don't make any money. And it, or some will go to the pros and you know, they'll bounce around practice squads or whatever. But their, their prime years are used up playing in college for nothing. I have a question. So the big business of college athletics came when they were able to sign these national TV deals and do these things. Right, right. But no one is saying these deals are going to go away. In fact, they're going to become all the more lucrative now. Live sports in in the, you know, in the a la carte entertainment world, Uh live sports are the only thing really that bucks that trend. Yeah, Um, yeah. I would still, I'd like to believe, watch ASU if players like, you know, Lou Dort or Tayshawn Cherry didn't have to go, and if it stepped down a half a step because it's it's not acceptable uh, for these kids to do it, um, and I know that it has become big business, but I wonder, would it not be? You know, if, if the quality of the competition is down, 
Yeah. Would that just return us to a world of, you know, the coaches matter and coaching uh-huh. matters? Uh huh. And that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously there's a there's a fair amount of you know Pandora's box, I guess. There, not knowing exactly, you know, where it would go, what would happen to college sports, what would happen to pro sports. Um, you know, a number of things there that. I don't know, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting, and, and there's no real talk about this at all with football now. We just kind of take it for granted that these guys will stay in college, and they can go pro after three years. You know, basketball gets a lot more talk, and you mentioned, you know, all this FBI stuff. To think this isn't happening in football is insane. I mean, if you really, truly believe that basketball is the only sport that's dirty, you're, you well, are a fool. Well, we you know, know it is. I mean, that was... The, the reason Reggie Bush doesn't have his Heisman is because USC or someone on behalf of the school or with an interest right. in him going to that school provided housing in Los Angeles for his family, plus right. who knows what other exactly, quote-unquote exactly. improper and, benefits. And there's no way he's an isolated case. I mean, there's just no way. There's too much money to be made, too much, too much consequence. As, I mean, what were we just talking about? Herm Edwards and and you better win. And every major program is facing that same pressure. And they've got fans who are even more unrealistic than us, and presidents and athletic directors who are more unrealistic than maybe Ray Anderson is. And they, you know, you better win and win big, or it's get out of town. Well, what is, I mean, what's the incentive there? The incentive there is to cheat, to try to win big. Because no one keeps you on staff and pays you millions of dollars to follow the rules and go five and seven. They, they, they pay you millions of dollars to go 10 and 2, and if you have to cheat to do it, cheat to do it. And and so, yeah, I mean, there's no way this stuff isn't happening in football that is being reported in basketball. No chance. I, I mean, uh, you know, if you told me that Dwayne Haskins got paid by Ohio State somehow to go there, I wouldn't be surprised. If you told me that Tua Tungavailoa got paid by Alabama, I wouldn't be surprised. Nor would I be upset. They deserve it. Like, you know, the whole Cam Newton thing from a few years ago. Cam Newton got paid to go to Auburn? Man, he deserved it. Think about all the money Auburn made because he was there. Yeah. It, you know, it, it goes to a broader point that you and I have probably beaten to death yeah. between the two of us when we've talked about it. I don't know if we've ever recorded But it goes to this broader exercise of what's the goal? If the goal is to put a winning product and to generate money for the school, and the way to generate money for the school and put out this winning product is to have better players, and the way to get better players is to have the shoe deal that gets, you know, the right money in the right guy's hands, you know, I assume it's not isolated. I I know that the reason why you and I are going to see ASU Kansas – on sure. December 22nd is because ASU and Kansas are both Adidas schools, and basically I'm betting Adidas <laughs> told Kansas they had to do this. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, the the uh, shoe companies probably don't matter as much in football, but they still matter. I mean, you, I'm sure you watched Michigan and Wisconsin last Saturday night, and you saw Michigan, and what did they have on their jerseys? The Jordan brand. It's notable. You notice it. Uh, you know, I mean, so so even though it's different in football, you know, it, it still matters What if you got the swoosh or the Jordan or the Adidas or whatever. And so there's no chance there is an influence there. No chance. 
there's, there's just zero chance that Under Armour isn't playing a role in maybe getting a good player to Auburn. Or that, you know, Nike isn't playing a role in maybe getting a good player to Alabama. Or what, I mean, uh, it, just, just come on. I mean, it, they, they are. Because it's financially beneficial for them to do so. And it goes back to the reason why these brands, I believe, the, the argument goes, the reason why these brands were paying these kids or their families or providing right. the benefits that the NCAA deems improper is that the, the brand wants to have the person wearing the shoes and then, hopefully, they keep wearing the shoes when they sure. become a pro sure, and, they, sure. and then they sign the endorsement deal that, that nets them, you know, the insulting thirty million that Kawhi turned down, or right, you know, right, the, right. you know, the even more money that Under Armour pays to Curry and Joel Embiid or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, I agree, and and there isn't that same market in football. You know, football players don't usually sell shoes. You know, I mean, I'm trying to think of even the last football player who really had a a big, you know, equipment or shoe deal. Uh, I mean, even even commercial icons like Peyton Manning. I don't, I don't think he had a deal. With the, no, I mean, a lot of them are company. retired quarterbacks do sketches. Right, right, exactly. Montana, and, uh, yeah, yeah, you know. So it's a little different, but still, I mean, is there a tremendous branding in, you know, uh, does Nike benefit if Michigan is really good? Yeah, absolutely, because the Jordan brand is now going to be out there on the, on, you know, in the big games or playoff games or whatever, and, I mean, even though they split off Jordan brand into almost like its own thing, it still all goes into the Nike coffers. And and so, you know, I mean, I noticed it. We talked about it when we went to see Michigan and Northwestern, how unusual it is to see Jordan. But it, they're not alone. There's a couple other schools that have it now. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I just saw somebody last week wearing it. I can't remember who it was. But, but Michigan, I know I Michigan was first, and that's the they other thing is, is Michigan was first. And I remember before last season, there were right. stories on ESPN about Wow, how interesting that Michigan's the first jump brand school. Right, and right, jump, right. You know, they've got all of the Jumpman logos and everything. It's like, right. that's just free advertising for oh, Nike. Oh, it is. It mm-hmm. absolutely is. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, man. I mean, who knows? There's there's so much to it and, and so many layers to it. But uh, there's, just, there's just too much money at stake in college football, college basketball, especially those two, to think that people aren't going to cheat. I mean, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, who I like, but Mike Krzyzewski comes out and says, you know, I'm not paying attention to this. This isn't how it is. It's just a blip. You're a fool if you think that. Or a liar. And you're probably a liar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, in all honesty, you're probably a liar because, honestly, I mean, like, I love Duke. But if, if, if you really think that Duke has gotten every one of these talented players by doing everything above board and not breaking one single rule, then... Wow, you're gullible. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all I can say. There's you know, some like, oceanfront <laughs> property in Des Moines <laughs> for you. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, there's just, come on. Uh, you know, it's, it's this notion, and not to turn this into an anti-Arizona thing, but, you know, DeAndre Ayton's family, you know, wanted money or whatever to go to Kansas, but we're supposed to believe that they didn't take any money to go to Arizona? Come on. I mean, it's Cam Newton. You know, mm-hmm. Cam Newton's dad asked Mississippi State for money, but... Not Auburn. He went to Auburn just out of the goodness of his heart. That's ridiculous. I mean, you don't ask one place for ten grand and then say, you know, I'll go there for free. That sounds awesome. Well, and that's, I, I think that's part of the feigned ignorance of 
Coach K is right, or maybe I mean, it, maybe it's legitimate ignorance. I, I, yeah, I, who knows? I, I am in the camp of people who think it's feigned ignorance. Feigned, I would say so too. Yeah. Well, the the reports about Zion Williamson are, you know, contacts with other schools, not Duke. Right. It's like, right. But that's just right. because they didn't have tape on guys from Duke. Exactly. That, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's hard to believe. That, you know, if, if a kid or a kid's family or a kid's handler said, well, we want this amount of money or we want this to go here. And then they went somewhere else that they did that just because they loved the place. Like, I, I just don't believe it. But, I mean, you know, yeah. like. Well, it's the I suggestion of you have, you know, some of the guys for their listing, uh, you know, when they were going through the stuff that Bowen's father said, he right. was getting, it's like, well, this school offered this, this school offered that, this school offered X, Y, Z. It's like, well, Sure. It's not, exactly. it's not one school. It, no, of it, course not. It, it, you know, if that was the case, then we would have teams like UCLA in the 60s, where, sure. where one school just has all the good players. And, right. and, and wins every title. Yeah, yeah. and everyone else and is just the rules. I mean, they were breaking the rules. They had, the, you know, they had the guy Sam, uh, Sam something, I can't remember his last name, who was, who was an influential booster who was paying players. And it's well known. And, and, you know, that's how they were so good. I mean, you know, like, John Wooden was a great coach, and I'm sure he was a good recruiter, and yeah, L.A. was a you know cool place to go. But, and, the, and they were all and, talented players. I mean, Right, they, you know. but, you know, yeah, they weren't all going there just because they loved it. Like, they were getting something for it, and that was before college basketball was anywhere near the business it is now. I mean, there was no billion-dollar TV contract for the tournament, and, you know, I mean, college basketball was a pretty – you know, irrelevant national sport back then, and and now it's totally different. So, yeah, I mean, you know, to think that, let me say this: find the program that's completely clean and never done anything outside the rules, and I'll find you a program that sucks uh, because you're not going to win very many games. Yeah, I mean, certainly at the major conference level, you know, uh, the the ones that I'm curious about, and you know, will. Maybe someday there will be a blue chips of real life, and we'll get to find out. Some coach will just sure. melt down and just start saying everything that sure. happened. But you know, does this happen with the Ivies? Does this happen at Gonzaga and St. Mary's? It certainly could happen at Gonzaga. I mean, I wouldn't rule that out at all because Gonzaga has become a major brand, and and you know, I think they're a Nike school, and and so yeah, I mean, to to think, I mean, I've never been to Spokane, Washington. I don't know if you have. Nope. But I've, ne- I've never necessarily heard that Spokane is, is uh, you know, Miami of the North or anything like that. And to think that all these kids, good, really good basketball players, are deciding to go to Gonzaga on their own is probably hard to comprehend. I mean, it just is. It's a small school. That, you know, it's, it's a religious a, school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's just hard to believe. Now, is there any evidence against them? I guess not at this point. But... Yeah, I mean, anybody who's recruiting that well, again, because you're, Gonzaga is recruiting now against the Dukes and the Kansases and the Kentuckys and the Louisvilles and the, you know, the power brokers of the game. Well, you're not going to get any of those kids just by saying, you know, come to Gonzaga. We do things right. Okay, you convince me. It doesn't happen that way very often, I'm sure. Well, and what's weird is it, it, it almost seems like that is how it works in football. Because college football is... It, it must be the only place where religious people go because every every coach speak recruiting statement sure. you you hear 
it so, is, you know, uh, I'm a good faithful <laughs> this, and, I, and, I'm a, right. and I'm a services on the weekends that, and, that's right, you, know, we, that's right. you know, team prayer, and, you know, it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, whom did it? You know, well, I'm, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic. I don't be coming right. at me with the devil. That's right. Like, That's right. I mean, Graham was big into that. You know, Graham did a lot of the religious stuff, and and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Wasn't Graham's dude, thing you know? that he would listen to like Joel Osteen yes. on his way to work? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he loved to tout that. Uh, yeah, I mean, so so yeah. I don't I don't know. That's a good question uh, and a good point. But but uh, yeah, I mean, there's just there's just way too much potential for uh for you know scandal and and you know but but i should say potential for gain by breaking the rules to to think that people don't break the rules i mean there's no way that i believe alabama is following every single rule just no way they are i'm sure breaking rules to recruit this well no good for them like you know they're doing it better than everyone else they are they (laughs) are yeah yeah but but again, I just—I mean, I think—I think if you were to take the lid off of college football, you would find just about everything you're finding in college basketball right now, if not more, because there's more money on the line in football. Really, there may not be the individual shoe deals and things like that, but I mean, uh, you know, think about hundred thousand seat stadiums and and playoff game TV ratings and things like that. It's outlandish. So to think that well, there's incentive to cheat basketball, but nobody does in football. That's crazy. Just crazy. Well, and that's the other thing is the incentive to cheat as just a, a, a fact of competition. You know, there's slogans. If you're, you're not cheating, you're not trying. Right. And, and, right. You know, it comes also down to the does the punishment meted out make it bad for you? And, and the way college is structured, absolutely not. Because right. by the time Memphis lost their, you know, banners, Coach K right. is at Kentucky, and Derrick Rose right. is in the NBA, and, and the who NBA, cares? Yeah. And, you know? yeah, you're right. And, you're and right. USC, same thing. Pete Carroll's gone. Sure. You know, Reggie Bush is a first-round pick. Sure, Matt sure. Matt Leonard's a first-round pick. Linda White's a first-round pick. And, and yeah, who cares? And, and there's probably not a way to ever fix that, because unless you know something right when it's happening, which you very rarely would. And you act you know, on it. That's the other part. Right, you have to act. I mean, right. and, and the incentive is there, you know, and this is an example that, I, I don't like to bring up, but it, but it's true. In, in Major League Baseball in 2011, the, the National League MVP was Ryan Braun. And Ryan Braun got a massive contract. And then right. Ryan Braun tested positive for steroids. Right. And right. you know what? Ryan Braun's still playing on that massive contract right now. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And yeah, he got no, suspended absolutely. for 65 games, and he had to give up that money right. for that year. And I bet if you, I'll be honest, if you gave me true serum and you asked me, oh. would I do it? Absolutely. Sure, if I was, sure. if I was that far away, uh, you know, if I was a yeah. hair's breadth away from being the best in the game and getting a, you know, eight-figure sure. payday every year. Absolutely. There's yeah. always that incentive. Yeah, I mean, you and I have discussed it in relation to ASU, and we don't even have any financial gain to come from it. But if if you can tell me, you know, the the you know devil pops up on your shoulder and says, you know, if ASU could break the rules win a football or basketball national championship and then be put on probation three years later, would you take it? I'd say yes before they could finish the sentence. Because absolutely I would take it. Uh, you know, I mean, and we, and I don't have anything tangible to gain except just the fun of being a fan. Imagine if I had money on the line. Yeah, of course I'd take it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing now, which 
I, I don't know the details of, but apparently there was a case in California that, that ruled the NCAA yeah. show cause violation uh, penalty is illegal. Illegal And, and they there. cannot yeah. do that. Well, if, if you can't, if, if you're a coach and you can't get slapped with a show cause now, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, what, what is agree. it that the moral obligation of school right. A to fire you? If Jim Russell right. didn't have a show cause and Ohio State fired him, Michigan would have hired him. Everybody sure, would have hired sure. him. Sure, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that if that makes any waves as time goes on. I saw that too, you know, and I don't I don't know whether it'll it'll, you know, be a big story down the road or not. But uh yeah, I mean it's it's uh it's interesting. Obviously there's a lot of, of uh layers to the onion I guess on that and how things would, would eventually shake out, how they'll play out now. Um, no one knows for sure, but it'll it'll be uh, it'll always be interesting. You know, as, as the interest and the money gets higher in college sports and it's only growing, there's only more potential for things like this to happen. All right. Matt's got ASU scoring 21 points and winning. Yes. I've got ASU scoring 21 points and losing. We had a lot of stuff stored up coming off the bye and heading we into did. the game. We did. Yes, yes. We will keep things rolling along. Uh, we will get the Stanford recap. We'll get through... Who knows what other topics we have to cover? That's right. But That's uh, right. back to back to Saturdays after this five five straight Saturdays, and then we'll see what what comes after that. Hopefully something. Yeah. If nothing else, Bobby Hurley. Comes That's after. right. That's right. Basketball is starting. Uh, what three weeks from last night? Twenty days. So yeah, we're gonna have to talk some ASU hoops soon too. Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.